questions, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll be in verse 14. And it's great, great to be with you guys this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, is where the, this morning's message is going to be. Let me find that real quickly. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, 14. And if you're able and don't mind, please rise for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the opportunity to worship you through the study of your word this morning. And as always, we we ask a blessing by the power of your spirit upon the teaching of your word, upon the receiving of your word, and also upon the application of your word to our lives. We desire to hear from you this morning, and we pray, God, that you speak to each one of us personally and beautifully as your word is taught, for we open it with reverence and expectation in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, you guys, please be seated, and thanks for standing. It's really good to be with you here this morning. My name, my name is Barry Mahler. I'm the senior pastor over down. I'm not sure if it's down, over, up, but anyway, over in Calvary Chapel in Fallbrook and have had the privilege of knowing Gunnar for a number of years. We're both currently chaplains at Escondido Police Department. And we met before back in 09, I remember, was, was when we became friends. We were both chaplains with the, the sheriff's office. And it's great. This is an exciting morning for me because this is the first time I've ever been asked to fill in at somebody else's church. So you guys are the guinea pigs after all, all these years. It's exciting for me to be here and a privilege to, to be here and, and fill Gunner's pulpit. And I, and, and I know you guys know what a wonderful pastor you guys have. He's, he's a good man and a good shepherd. And uh, so I'm really privileged to be here and fill in his shoes, even though I'll leave a couple sizes wanting here. So Hebrews 4, uh, we're continuing now in the book of Hebrews. And, and I have the privilege of jumping here in the middle of chapters 4 and 5. And 
So the, the early portion of Hebrews is gone. Much of it is, is left to come. But I can comment here a little bit on the vast early portion of Hebrews that we, we're, we're in right now, but a lot of it has already come. And that, it's about the superiority of Jesus Christ. And that superiority of his is superior to everything that is important. The writer of Hebrews is making this case for why Jesus is superior and to whom and to what he is superior. So let's do kind of a nutshell review. This really isn't is is difficult to do. It's kind of the reader's digest version, but little little backup to bring us up to speed and more importantly me more than anybody else. So we're told in the very beginning of Hebrews that God has spoken to us through his son. It says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has superior, uh, inherited is superior to theirs. So God has spoken to us through his son. That's the person of Jesus Christ. He, meaning Jesus, is appointed heir of all things. He is the one through whom the universe has been made. He, meaning the son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Amazing words, sustaining all things by his powerful word, and after he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He holds the place of places. And so in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews made this point, And this is key and wonderful. It was that the Son is superior to the angels. I think that is awesome. Great to know that he's superior to the angels. And to us, that would seem to settle everything But then in chapter 3, the writer goes on to begin pointing out that the Son of God is superior to some men, meaning Moses and Joshua. And then last week we saw the Sabbath rest. This, This week we see the high priest. The writer is making the point that that the Son not only is he more is he superior to the angels, he's superior to human beings. And you and I would think, but that's that's backwards. If, if the writer has already made the point that the Son is superior to the angels, of course He's superior to human beings. And I think in here is a hidden little wonderful tidbit in the book of Hebrews that tells us that that is not so. And I say that carefully, but I firmly believe that human beings are created. We are a higher class of beings than the angels. And I'm going to qualify that and say that carefully. Not to say that I don't love the angels and appreciate the angels. I hope that you do. Not to say that I'm not thankful for the angels as I am and and I hope that you guys are. But to put things in a little bit of perspective which makes what Jesus did, what he has done and what he is doing even more amazing and wonderful for us. So, why, why is the writer of Hebrews looking at men now, after he's already qualified that Jesus is superior to the angels, why is he looking to show us that Jesus is superior to some men? Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we see that humanity had a unique beginning, that God created us, humanity, in his likeness and in his image. This is not true of any of the angels. 
just a point to, to, to make in this investigation that we have, this quick investigation here at the beginning. So number one, we're made in his likeness. We human beings are made in his likeness. Though fallen, we're made in his likeness, and then, but the angels are not. Now, we also know from scriptures that humanity had a fall. We saw that in Genesis chapter 3. There was the fall from perfection in the Garden of Eden. I'm sure that most of you know that the angels, some of the angels also fell. You can find that outlined in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, when the angels fell, hell was created for them. In the account of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 24, 25, when the Lord says, depart from me, uh, to the, to the goats, he says, into the hell created for whom? The devil and his angels. So we believe, according to Scripture, I believe that about one out of every three of the angels fell. When they fell, hell was created for them. There is no redemption for them. But for humanity, when humanity fell, what was put into place? What, what was made? I, will, I won't say created because I want to be careful of that. But the plan of redemption was put in place for fallen humanity. That tells us at the beginning that that from the beginning we had a different start than the angels. We have a different beginning, we have a different middle, and we have a different destiny. And our destiny is amazing. And this is not so that we puff out our chest and say, oh, you angels are nothing. God forbid that we would ever say this. I love the ministry of the angels, but bear in mind, bear in mind Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So why am I saying this? To give us an, 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 more of an idea and appreciation of who we are and what plan that God has for us. Not to say anything against the angels. For them we give thanks. And then to move on and make this point. I believe that the second greatest privilege in this universe, is to be a human being created in the image of God. I think it's a wonderful privilege to be a human being. Now you may think, okay, Barry, what is the first, what's the greatest privilege then if if you've given us the second? The first one is, the second one is to be a human being created in the image and likeness of God. I believe the greatest privilege on planet Earth is to be a redeemed human being created in the image of God. Not just to be a human being, but also to be a human being who's going to heaven, to be a human being who's been adopted back into the family of God, who's been bought back at the cost of the blood of the cross. So I believe that's the greatest privilege. It means that you were his, I was his, but you were lost and then you were welcomed or redeemed and brought back into the family. That, I believe, is the highest privilege that there is. And some words on what it means to be a human being when we, when we think about this. Remember, bearing in mind that, that Hebrews begins with the superiority of Jesus over the angels, then in, in our mind that would make them greater than any other human being, greater than Moses, Joshua, etc. But the scripture is teaching now, he goes on to prove that, the scripture goes on to prove that Jesus is greater than any man in Israel's history, any man ever in any institution. Hear these words about humanity. I love these words. In all of creation, there is nothing more beautiful, able, expressive, graceful, lordly, and wonderful than is the human form. The human form is capable of greater athletic endeavor by far than any animal and is able to walk, skip, leap, swim, catch, throw, kick, slide, and run with singular beauty. Kind of gives you a different view of, of sports and 
And slow, that's why I love slow, slow motion sports, just watching what the human body can do. The human hand alone is unmatched for its ability and dexterity, and the human body knows no equal in its language and sound, and no form is as capable of expression as is the human face and body. The human form is lordly and noble in that it stands and walks upright in its natural state, making it unique in bearing dignity and beauty, for it does not so much hold up the head as the head is as it is crowned by the head, exalting the center of thought and reason ever toward heaven where they belong. The human body is naturally upright. It is erect in its state. And from the time a child is born, it is on a journey to walk and stand upright. Walk, stand, run, leap upright. That's our natural state, lifting up our head toward heaven. It is, it is naturally upright because the being in whose image it was formed is upright and holy in his character. It is noble in appearance because he is noble in nature. It, express, it is expressive because he is an expressive and emotional being. To all who would see, the human form would forever speak of the attributes of the living God. And that's one of the reasons, I believe, why we see this, this strange juxtaposition between Hebrews 1 and 2, where the, where the angels, where Jesus has proven superior to the angels, then moving on to humanity. Because in scriptural thinking, it must be proven. Because he is greater than the angels, doesn't mean he is greater than humanity. If it were proven in, in, first that he were greater than humanity, the argument for angels wouldn't need to be used. And today we're going to look at why the Son is superior to even the high priest of Israel. Verses 14 through 16. Therefore, the writer says, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we're talking about Jesus' superiority and one of the positions it must be shown that come under the superiority of Christ in Hebrews, and he's writing to Jewish people, Jewish thinkers, is the position of the high priest of Israel. Now, so far in the book of Hebrews, the high priest has been mentioned twice, one in in verse 2, chapter 17, and one in chapter 3, verse 1. So we've known that this is coming, but now let's get into a little bit of background on the high priest to put this in perspective. So first thing regarding the high priest, there was only ever one at a time. There's only one high priest. By definition, you think who's, if there's a high something, there's probably only going to be one. Well, it's true. There was only one high priest. When we get to the New Testament times and at the, at the trial of Jesus and we see that there's Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest, and the father-in-law of the high priest, and they're both called the high priest, that was an anomaly, mostly because of the, the machinations of political Rome and they were appointing some and uh, one and another. And, but, but scripturally, there was only one high priest at a time. And who was this guy? Could he be chosen from anyone? No, he had to be a, the first male descendant in the line of Aaron. Aaron, of course, being Moses' brother who, who came to meet Moses at Mount Sinai and then helped with the Exodus. That brother of Moses, Aaron, was the first high priest and the high priest after him could only be his oldest male descendant. So his oldest son would be the next high priest and then the oldest son of that oldest son would be the next high priest, so on and so forth, down throughout the generations. 
His duty, the duty of the high priest, was to represent people to God. That's the purpose of a priest, and that was the purpose of the high priest, to represent people to God. The prophet is entirely different. The prophet is, the job of the prophet is to represent God to the people. That's why the, the prophet generally would say, thus saith the Lord. That's the famous, that's the famous word of, uh, phrase of the prophet. And I would also add on an aside, that's also part uh, of what the word of God does. The word of God represents God to us as well. But the high priest represents people to God. That's his job. He takes on the people and represents them before God. And so he would make sure their prayers and their requests were ordered properly. If you're familiar with the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus is an exclamation point on how God must be worshipped. One of the things that the Bible teaches us from, from front to back is that we don't worship God on our terms. Amen? We approach God on His terms and on His terms only. The Bible is exclusionary. The Bible makes sure that we know there's only one way to worship God. And and that we understand is through Jesus Christ. He said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many ways does that sound like to you guys? Just one? Does it sound like it's okay if we go through Buddha or through Muhammad? Or even through Moses? No, that's not what the scripture says. That there is only one way to God, one name, one one intercessor between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. There's only one name under heaven by which men may be saved. That is the name of Jesus. Now the book of Exodus, the whole setup of Exodus, where, where not only does Moses come down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, or Charlton Heston come down the, the mountain with the Ten Commandments, but he also, I like to think he's got, he's got scrolls or blueprints in his hand because God says, there's something I need you to build and I need you to build it exactly as I give it to you. And from that comes the construction of the tabernacle. And every single element of that was drawn up before. It had to weigh, each piece had to weigh so many ounces of silver, gold, or bronze. It had to be made in such and such a way, erected in such and such a way. And at the end of that, inside of that tabernacle were two rooms. There was an outer courtyard. And then there was the building on the inside, the holy place. And then in the very back, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That's where the presence of the Lord dwelt. And the high priest could go in once a year to that Holy of Holies on the day of Yom Kippur. He went in twice on that day, once to offer for his own sins and another to offer for the sins of the people. But everything about how a holy God is to be approached by sinful humanity is ordered in the Bible. Now, of course, we know all of that comes to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. Part of what the writer of Hebrews is making, the point that the writer of Hebrews is making. But that takes us back to that high priest and his function. His function was to order everything, to make sure that the people were properly represented before a holy God in the manner prescribed. Now, there were some, there were some curious things about how the high priest of Israel was, would serve. He could enter the service at age 25, and then generally would be retired from service at age 50, at which time his oldest son would take over. Kind of made it important on Father's Day for them to have more kids, right? Otherwise, we don't have a high priest in the line of Aaron. We've got to find somebody else. So he would finish out his years after 50. He would finish out his years as a helper to the priest, and they would benefit from his wisdom and experience. Now, he would... Now, 
on that line until he would he would grow probably too old to help out, bearing in mind what a difficult job that was. Any of you wrangle animals for a living or or deal with 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 sheep, goats, cattle? It's a lot of work, isn't it? It's physical. I just Valley Center. How come everybody's not raising their hands? I'm from Fallbrook. It's not much. It's not much different. But but animals, it takes a lot of work to offer animals, to, to tear them apart, to, to get them up on the altar. You can imagine what a physical job it was for the high priest. Not only that, but outside in the sun as and, and the, the, the climate in Israel is very much like it is here. So after he got too old and then at 50, he would, he would help out until finally it probably became a little bit too much for him. But everyone could benefit from his experience as his, he would watch his son and if he lived long enough, one of his grandsons take over. Another thing about the high priest is that the point that the book of Hebrews is making was that he is made out of the same stuff that you and I are made out of. Now as the high priest of Israel, he was made of the same sinful stock that were made out of. He inherited the fall from Adam and Eve. So not only did he have to make sure that the people were represented, but he had to make sure that he was represented before God. He had to make sacrifices and offerings for his own sins. Sometimes they were they were offerings just for a fellowship offerings because he wanted to fellowship with God, but they would also be sin offerings. And so this means that he was he was he knew that he was the same sinful stock as they were. Even as I mentioned on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, before he would go into the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice for the people and to pray that God would dwell among them for another year, he first had to offer offerings for himself. He had to go in on his own account before he could do that for the people. So and then at the end of so he was he was always reminded that he was of the same sinful stock as the rest of the people of Israel. And because of that, he could empathize with them. And we'll come back to that in a bit. Now, the earthly high priest would be buried when his life was over and often in a fantastic grave if he were considered a national treasure as some of them men were. Now, but the superiority of Jesus, so we we think that among Israel, there were few with the glory, there were few with the seeming superiority of the high priest But now we talk about the superiority of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus. And this is a different story. The first thing that we see is that since we have a great, and finally we're getting to the Bible study, Pastor. Yeah, we're about three hours into this here. We'll, We'll be okay. But first he's called the great high priest. No one else in the history of high priesthood is called great. Only Jesus is called great. Now we are told that like the high priest before him, he was made of the same stuff, not sinful stock, but human stock and was tempted in every way just as we are. Isn't that important to know? That Jesus has experienced everything that you and I have experienced, temptation even that we have experienced. But when we look at hunger and, and sleep and all of and, and thirst, all of those things, he has experienced them. Sorrow, difficulty, all of these he has experienced. But like unlike any other high priest, Jesus never, ever sinned. This is why verse 14 tells us that he ascended into heaven. Only perfection is allowed in heaven, you guys. Nothing imperfect is allowed there. No one who's imperfect is allowed there. That is why the only reason that you and I, God bless you, that you or I can ever be allowed into heaven is only as we sing in the song, by the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid it all. 
All to him I owe. It is only on the basis of his merit and never on ours. I like to, I like to think of it as God sees us through Christ-colored glasses. My eyes are old and they're not fixable. So I have to wear spectacles all the time. I have to wear these glasses all the time. I see the world through my glasses. How the Father sees me and how the Father sees you, if you're redeemed, he sees you through the lens of his Son. And the lens of his Son makes you perfect and allows you and allows me access into heaven. Only heaven, only perfection is allowed in heaven. And so we have a perfect human high priest who now resides in heaven. That's one of the points here. It's great. And he is touched with our human with our human issues. This is the Greek word. In my Bible, it's translated empathize, and I like that, but this is the Greek word sympatheo, and, it, and, it, and it's, we get our word sympathy from that, but it, it runs a little deeper in the Greek. Sympathy is, I feel your pain. Empathy is, I know your pain. I'm, I, I feel your pain with you. How many, anybody ever received a sympathy card? Send a sympathy card. Anybody ever receive an empathy card? You can't send an empathy card, can you? All you can do is is share it with the person. And and Tuesday, for instance, and j- just so you guys know, my my body knows. Tuesday, I'm going in for surgery. It's a routine surgery, and it's a it's a prostate reduction surgery. And it's thankfully it's not cancer, but I'm just at that stage of life where some of you guys I won't, I won't ask for a show of hands, but it just it just it it comes to the point where you have to do something about it. I was at a trip to Israel recently and invented. Places to have uh, water stops just because it's getting so bad. And when I came back, I said, I knew I have to do it. And so I'm in two days, I'm going in for that surgery. And it's a routine surgery. And, and, and it's, in the, it's in the hands of the Lord. But suddenly to me, the point here is that suddenly to me, the term routine surgery, it's different. And, and as a pastor, I've been pastoring for a long time, thank the Lord. I've walked a lot of people through surgeries. I've been in a lot of bedsides. I've been to a lot of hospitals. And, and I've helped people through them. I sympathize with them. I know that after Tuesday, I'm also going to be able to empathize with them. I'm going to feel what they feel. It's routine, but it's still me. And, and not to make anybody embarrassing, but it's still, it's routine. But they're man parts we're talking about here. And, and it's better that I empathize now when another man says, I'm going through this. I, I cannot just sympathize, but I can empathize. And with the gals who have, who have surgery on their parts as well, whether it's breast cancer or other things, now I'm going to be a better pastor. That's my point. Does that make sense? And how much, how amazing is our high priest who has to carry me on his shoulders, how wonderful it is to know that he understands everything about you and everything about me. And so where the rubber meets the road, we can, because of this, approach God's throne of of grace with confidence. I still don't understand that. I know it's true because it's what the Bible says, but I, I know I can approach his throne with confidence and sometimes I kid myself that I'm doing, but I'm not there yet. I hope to be one day. I was even thinking today, I don't think I could approach President Trump, who's the current president of the United States, and in uh, case you, you guys aren't familiar with that. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine approaching his, his desk in the Oval Office with confidence? 
Imagine the layers of security you have to go through to get to that place, and not only the scheduling, but to have a few minutes with the time of the man who's arguably one of the most important or powerful men in, in the world. Imagine what it takes to get an audience with him. Yet you and I can boldly go to the throne of grace and make our requests. How is it and why is that? There's an old photo that I remember. Some of you, I'm sure, remember this. And it goes back to the time of JFK, when JFK was president in the Oval Office. And he's working away at his desk. I remember this as a black and white photograph. I'm not sure if it is. But in, and, and I believe it was his son, uh, JFK Jr., who was playing on the floor next to his desk in front of it. And here, here is the desk that most people in the world would, would love to get. And how many people are trying to get in to see the President of the United States? And there he is in the Oval Office with his son. His son has immediate open access. He has access to that desk. He has access to that office. And maybe that in a way helps to describe for you and for me the access as sons and daughters, adopted sons and daughters of the living God that we have immediately right now when we take our requests before God, and not least of which is because we have one who empathizes with us. Don't ever think that what you are going through, don't ever think that what you experience is not felt and understood by Jesus. And so we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This tells us a lot of why Jesus did what he did. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. Well, there's only one problem with Jesus becoming our high priest. He doesn't have the credentials to be our high priest, according to the scriptures. He wasn't of the tribe of Levi and certainly not of the lineage of Aaron, meaning that he had no legal claim to that position. Remember, Aaron was made the high priest, then his son, and then his son after that, and his son after that. Jesus is not in that line. And no one can take this honor on himself. No one, they just can't walk around Israel and say, look, I'm going to be the high priest. Yeah, I think I'll be the high priest this year. It doesn't work like that. But the high priest receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Jesus could not take this honor of himself. Remember that he is of the tribe of Judah, specifically in the tribe of Judah. He's of the lineage of David. That gives him a great, a great, a great claim to what? To the throne of Israel. He has an absolutely legitimate claim to the throne of Israel, but he does not have a legitimate claim to the high priesthood of Israel. He's not in that lineage. So what happens? Well, verses 5 and 6 six come to our theological rescue here, so let's look. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. That's from Psalm 2.7. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek, another psalm, Psalm 110, verse 4. And as an aside, ladies, for Melchizedek is always overlooked when it comes to baby names. But what a great name this is. I think you really should consider if there are any boys on the way, you never know what the, the, the nickname is going to be. Melchi, Zedek, what's it going to be? But Melchizedek, he is, you are my son today, I become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of of Melchizedek. So Christ didn't take on the glory of becoming a high priest, 
but his father appointed him to be one. Do you see that model from the Old Testament? Aaron would appoint his eldest son to be the high priest. The father appointed Christ to be priest in the order of Melchizedek, which goes much further back in time than does Aaron and or Moses. And I know everyone woke up on Father's Day thinking, I want to go to church because I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's going to be a Bible study on this guy named Melchizedek. Well, it turns out that there is today, but we're going to do the condensed version because more on Melchizedek is coming up in chapter 7, and that's for Pastor Pastor Gunner will be there with you guys soon enough. So we're just going to do a real quick background idea of who Melchizedek is and was so that we can understand this high priesthood of Jesus. So let's do this. Melchizedek appeared in Genesis chapter 14 as the king of Salem, the king of the precursor of Jerusalem, and priest of God Most High. And in that scene, in chapter 14, he blessed a man named Abram. Now, in perspective, this is Abram who will become Abraham. And Abraham has gone off on a battle and he's defeated four kings from the east. They had taken his nephew Lot and all the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah captive. And Abram took the 318 men trained in his household, went after them toward Damascus and defeated them and brought everybody back. And as he's, he's coming back, he comes to Salem, Jerusalem, and out comes a man named Melchizedek who brings out bread and wine. And when he did so, Melchizedek blessed Abram. Now, remember that in the scriptures, the one who blesses is greater than the one who receives the blessing. So by definition, Melchizedek is greater than Abram. Abram is the man called by God. Abram is a man who has a covenant relationship with God. Yet when he approaches Salem, Jerusalem, Melchizedek comes out, offers him bread and wine and blesses him. And then Abram did something that reverberates down through the scriptures and is a great reminder for us about who he was and his relationship with Abram. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. As we did the tithes and offering this morning, Abram gave him a tenth of everything that he had. Now at the time, Abram was fatherless, but his his descendants, as the Bible tells us, were still in his loins. And in his loins was, was Isaac, and then Jacob, and then the 12 sons of Jacob, one of whom would be Levi, Abram's great-grandson, and and a child of Levi would be Aaron. So all of these were still in the loins of Abram when he gave to Melchizedek, proving that Melchizedek is greater, in a sense, than all the descendants of Israel, and certainly even greater than the man who would one day be born, Aaron the high priest. So he was priest. Melchizedek was a priest before God most high. And in Psalm 110 verse 4, which is quoted in Hebrews, his priesthood was an everlasting priesthood that existed before Aaron's priesthood. There's no beginning to his priesthood. There's no end to his priesthood. And again, there'll be more in Hebrews chapter 7, but he arrives on the scene with no, with no father, with no mother, no genealogy. He just is. And the Bible speaks about him as if he is. He appears as a priest and, and never when he wasn't a priest. So what we, what we know about him or what we never saw was he never sacrificed an animal, but he brought out bread and wine to meet Abram 
and to bless him. So that's who Melchizedek was. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is claiming, that Jesus has a priesthood, not according to Aaron. He does not and will not ever qualify, but according to Melchizedek. Verses 7 through 10, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, meaning complete in his suffering, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. One of the things we know about Aaron is Aaron was never made perfect. Aaron never became the source of eternal salvation for anyone. He could not, he was not, and he could not. Aaron eventually died. He handed the priesthood over to his son. With Melchizedek, it's a different story. These verses here can be nothing more than a testimony that Jesus lived the life of a high priest. He prayed fervently with tears. He learned obedience from what was suffered. And here I would encourage you guys to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6, 7, and 8. That's the great, the empty and the kenosis of Jesus were were being being in very nature God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or be held onto at all cross at all costs. But he emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of his power. He didn't empty himself of his divinity, of his deity, of his omniscience. He emptied himself of his power, of his position, and of his status. And he became a servant. He became a human being like us. He became a servant, and he became obedient even to death to death even on a cross, exclamation point. That's the great kenosis. That's what we're speaking about. He prayed fervently with tears. He learned obedience from what was suffered. And he surpasses anything an earthly high priest could become. Because no high priest ever became the source of eternal salvation. And he was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And that is why I personally, and and people are free to disagree with me, that's why I say it's personally, I believe that Melchizedek, the way he appears on Scripture, the way the Bible talks about him, Genesis 14, Psalm 110, a little bit in Hebrews, and that's it. I believe that Melchizedek is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. We would call that a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of God. We just call it theophany in general. But I think we're, in some ways, we have the privileged ground when we speak of Melchizedek. We have the opportunity to speak of Christ, appearance be Christ, of Christ before he he came in the incarnation. And that's a that's an incredible thing to ponder when we when we think about that. Here he was, he's king of Salem and a priest of God Most High. Abram gives him a tenth of everything. He appears without father, without mother. And now Jesus is appointed. It seems he appears for the, for the simple point of establishing a priesthood that could be connected with Jesus. Does God know that, that the priesthood of Aaron is coming down the road? Absolutely. And is that an important high priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron? You bet. But God knows that something different. He has a priesthood to whom he wants to appoint his son. So that's that's our our portion for this morning. At at Calvary Fallbrook, our our motto is epic epic times epic faith. And so at the end, I always like to have an epic times epic faith motto and speak, or uh, application. So I'm always bad with with mottos. That's the only one I can come up with. So let's let's just end this morning with with taking some application from this section 
of, of verses here. And the first idea is on being human. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has given everyone lots of applications on this. I'm just going to single out a couple that seems best with me. The first one is on the idea of being human. And I know it seems like four hours ago, but we, we started off with, with looking at the fact that, that the writer of Hebrews had proven the superiority of Jesus to angels and then moved on to humanity. And we talked about that. I want to come back to that and talk a little bit on being human. And, and as a reminder, as an encouragement to everyone, to hold your head high and rejoice at the honor given to us by God at being human beings. I think in this day and age, we, we, have, we are dragging what it means to be a human being through the mud. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is this, this damnable idea of evolution that says that we came from the, from the goo to the zoo to you. It's absolutely hideous and preposterous. It robs us of all purpose. It robs us of any glory that we might have. And it robs us of hope. And don't think for an instant that it doesn't rob our children of hope most of all. It is a damnable, damnable idea. And I hate it. I hate it. It's false and it's horrible. And as, as someone who, who spent 16 years, I, I, was a, I was a nuclear operator for 16 years. That was my path in the Navy. Gunner was a SEAL. I was a, a nuclear operator. After that, I, I ran the, the, the power plants at San Onofre for 10 years. 16 years, I was trained in operational physics. And I have to tell you, I don't know where you stand on the issue of evolution, but I can tell you this, that it goes against every principle of science and physics that we know. There is nothing about it that's provable or proven. It is absolutely, it's, it's horrible science and, and it's a horrible idea. Even if it were true, who would want to believe they come from nothing? That they're here for no reason and there's nowhere to go to. Think about what that does for us. Look at what that's done in the, in the countries where, where communism holds sway. It absolutely robs the people of any glory and of any hope. So I hate it. Rejoice, you guys. Hold your heads a little bit higher this week and rejoice at the honor given to us by God at being human beings, at being made in His image. That means something. It's wonderful. It's great to be a human being. And it's wonderful not only being made in His image, but it's also wonderful being redeemable. Think about it. As glorious as Michael the angel is, as Gabriel the angel is, as glorious as they are, and the hosts that are like them, the cherubim that surround the throne, they're not redeemable. But you and I are. How amazing is it to be made in the image of God. And also, hold your head high at the stunning dual deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That is such an incredible thing. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ. How can that be? I can't explain it to you. But I hope one thing that it does is it lifts the human form a little bit in your eyes to know that we are something special, that it is, again, the second greatest privilege on earth is to be a human being made in the image of God. And the greatest privilege, excuse me, in the universe is to be a redeemed human being made in the image of God. So rejoice, you guys, at the fact that a man, a human being, now occupies the throne of heaven. Rejoice, hold your head high at the fact that a man now lives to make intercession for us. That is the purpose of Jesus as a high priest. And what all of this part of Hebrews is saying is that he came, he became one of us, became of the same stock of us. 
so that He could now represent us. Not just sympathize, but He empathizes with us. And I hope that you and I will hold our heads a little bit higher this week. And by that, I don't mean that, that we're to consider ourselves greater. Don't go home and kick the dog. That's not what I'm saying. Kick the cat? Yeah, cats are fine. But the dogs, no. Dogs are great. But hold your head high and know these things. Understand about these things, you guys. Please hear me. And I know I'm a guest speaker and only so many liberties that I have. But I want you to know that you are not an accident. You personally are not an accident. You are here by the will of the living God. And know that you are loved. You personally, unfortunately in English, you means you singular and you plural. Spanish and other languages are better in that respect. But you personally are loved. What Jesus did to become our high priest, he did for you personally. That's how much you are loved. Isn't it a privilege to be loved by him? Isn't it a privilege to be known by name? Isn't it a privilege that he empathizes with us? Don't ever think that you are a forgotten, that you are a byproduct of nothing, but you are a product of something, the creative genius and love of a transcendent God who knows you by name and cares for you. And as a high priest of old, carried the names of the sons of Israel above his heart, he carries you on his heart always as he represents you before God. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Jesus, for being our great high peace who has passed into the heavens. You are perfect, and yet you are one of us, and you represent us, and we thank you for that. And I pray that every heart here might know how much that we are loved by you, how deeply you hold us to your bosom. We thank you for that. Lord, minister here. Bless this day and this week as we go from here. And we praise you, Jesus. Thank you for being our great high priest, for empathizing with all of our weaknesses and our needs, but also knowing, Lord, that you represent us to God perfectly, that each of us is represented personally before heaven right now. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Quick chorus with me if you guys don't mind. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you guys and thanks for having me.